0: Because this uh, might be the, the inner chronicle of what we are. And we have to articulate ourselves. Otherwise, we would be cows in the field. Welcome to Cows in the Field. This is a movie podcast. This is yet another movie podcast. Yeah. And uh, my name is Justin. Justin. I'm Laura. And today we're talking about 1994's Forrest Gump. Starring Tom Hanks as Forrest Gump. Robin Wright as Jenny. Gary Sinise as Lieutenant Dan. Sally Fields as Mrs. Gump. <laughs> I don't know what her name <laughs> I is. I think
1: Mrs. Gump. Yeah, yeah Mama. Okay. Mama Gump. Mama Gump.
0: And uh, this movie won a bunch of Academy Awards. I don't even know what it won, but it was a big thing. It was a big deal. It big deal. I mean, uh, Tom Hanks won Best Actor. I think it won yeah. Best Picture. I too. think it
1: did a beat-up Pulp Fiction.
0: Yeah, but I mean, they weren't going to give it to Pulp
1: Fiction. No, 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 no. Yeah.
0: Pulp Fiction is like the the quintessential Palm Door that's not going to win uh, Best Picture. Yeah. All right. So we disagree very strongly about this movie. One of us thinks this movie is almost basically a masterpiece. It's an excellent movie. It has a lot of lot to offer the viewer on many levels. The other of us thinks that this movie is a piece of maudlin uh, trash that is manipulative and uh, deeply problematic. See if in the course of this conversation you can figure <laughs> out who's, who's who. Does that seem is reasonable? What
1: a mystery. A
0: mystery. Uh, all right. So I guess I'll start.
1: Um, so no, you s- gotta start. I'm
0: starting it off. And I want to just start off with a little personal story. So I saw this movie in theaters uh, with my dad. And he had to drag me to see it. I I can't remember what it was that I wanted to see. I think there was some discussion beforehand and he was just like in, you know, my dad's style is often like, well, what are you thinking about seeing? And I'll be like, I don't know, maybe this thing. And he's like, "Mm, we're watching Forrest Gump. (laughs) So he pulled me into Forrest Gump and, and the feather in the beginning and the music. And I was just like, oh, come on. And then Forrest starts talking and he's like, you know, he's got the accent and he's, kind of dumb. And I'm like, oh, this is, is this going to be this whole movie?
1: Yes, it is.
0: And so this as it goes on and the, and the story kind of pulls me in little by little. Like, I mean, you know, it's this—he's—it's a, a narrative, right? He's telling the story to these various people he meets on the park bench and it's kind of pulling me in at each at each turn. And I'm like, I'm kind of digging this. And I'm like in the tunes and everything. And then, you know, we get to Vietnam, and I'm whoa, this is an intense action, and whatever, and it just keeps going and and by the end of the movie, I had gone on this emotional journey, both the journey of the characters and coming to sort of you know love them in a way, care about them and care when when Forrest is, you know talking to Jenny on at her grave um, and feeling just incredibly moved by that. Um, but also coming full circle on the movie feeling really bad that I had been so down on this movie to begin with. Just to, just to feel like, ah, I was just such a, I don't know, pathetic 10 year old kid who want, you know, boy who was looking for his action movie and thought this was just going to be like, I don't know, like chick to chick flick or some stupid drama. And then coming away thinking, you know, i Changed I'm, your life. I don't know if it changed my life, but <laughs> I really liked it. And it's a movie that has actually stuck with me. And, you know, I think that over the course of this movie's life, um, you know, it's it's whatever, 25 years or whatever since the movie came out, mm-hmm. um, it's seen a lot of ups and downs, right? In terms of its critical and audience reception. Uh, at the time, it was incredibly popular, won a bunch of Academy Awards, was accolades, it was getting accolades from both the, the sort of elite and the, 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 the audience, just the common audience. Um, but I think there was a backlash pretty quickly. And we'll get into some of what might have been driving that backlash, but I think that backlash has kind of remained today. That's the sense I have, is among, you know, the sort of educated movie-going audience It's kind of fashionable to hate this movie. Um, I think, interestingly, this is a movie that's been charged with being liberal, being conservative, being apolitical. It's a film that's been charged with whitewashing history, promoting a problematic notion of racial colorblindness, being hacky, maudlin nonsense. Um, My goal today will be to try to convince you, the listener, via Laura, otherwise. Um, It is
1: interesting, though, that that so much has been projected onto this movie, a la like the way that people project themselves or their views onto Forrest Gump.
0: That's right. Well, (laughs) as I'm going to get into, I think Gump is the he's he's the ultimate cipher in Mm -hmm. a way. Um, And my take is basically can be summed up this way. I think you can appreciate this movie as a pure, on a purely theoretical level so you can appreciate it at the form you know for its formal details what it's doing uh, in it, you know in its allegory and everything but i actually think my recommendation as if you're going back to rewatch this movie is is not to i mean it's fine to do that i think if you need to have that intellectual engagement with the movie to appreciate it that's totally fine there was a time i think when i had to do that This time I watched it, I really took the I went back to that kind of emotional state that I had when I was 10. And I went on the journey again. And I just got caught up in the story. And I really think this is a story that is it's a fundamentally human story. And it's one that we can all find echoes of in our own lives. And I think that that makes this part of the reason it's it has a universality, is because because Gump is a is a kind of cipher, and because he's almost a blank slate, we can in, see echoes of ourselves in Gump, and I think that allows the story to be more transcendent than it would otherwise be. So that's going to be one of the claims I'm going to try to sort of expand upon. So that's my opening statement on
1: beautiful. Gump. It's beautifully done. Okay, I'm going to try and go along with you as much as I can on this one. I want to be convinced. I will. When I was, we watched it uh, a little over a year ago. And when we watched it last before we, before last night, that was the time I was the most taken with it. I was pregnant and hormonal, but I was feeling it the way you were describing, like just sort of Mm -hmm. caught up in the motion, motion of it. This, this time around watching it in 2020, I was angry.
0: Can you say a little bit more about what changed between the, in this, besides my hormonal state,
1: Mm -hmm. um, (laughs) Yeah, I just think, um, well, there's just been this, there's been a discussion about anti-racism uh, and sort of like you can't be apolitical or uh, disinterested when it comes to race. If you are not actively anti-racist, then you are, in fact, part of like the racist structure um, that surrounds us all. And I thought about this movie like in its attempt to be political, mm. uh it, and in fact then it is doubling down on conservative or problematic views. I feel I think like you just in order if, for to have a character who doesn't acknowledge any of the any of the racism around him and he's set in the south and like he just sees everybody as the same because he's colorblind and that's held up as an ideal that feels really really problematic um in this particular moment in 2020 watching it. I also just felt really angry about how white men move through the world.
0: <laughs> okay, so there are two points there. Let's get to the yes. white men thing in a second. But yeah. on the racial colorblindness thing, I think that's a that's a good point, and I think that that's one of the criticisms that's leveled at the movie. Sure, that for sure, Gump is portrayed as a kind of ideal um, citizen who doesn't see race. So the right. ideal is is not find. Um, a reparation. So see race and see that there are ra- there are races. There's racism in this society. The race structures the social situation that we live in, and we have to rectify that.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Rather, this idea ideal of racial colorblindness is like, well, I don't see race. Racism is seeing differences in the races, right. and I don't see that, and that's my that's why I'm not racist. And the thought is, well. That is racist, because there are differences. The differences are just not the result of, like, inherent, I don't know, genetic differences, but they're the result of social uh, historical structures that have been in place um, for hundreds and hundreds of years, you know, going back, you know, to the slave trade and beyond. Mm -hmm. And so... um, yeah and so there the 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 charge is that the the movie reinforces this ideal of racial colorblindness as what that you should be you should try to be like Forrest, yeah, as opposed to you should try to actually be someone you know maybe who's more sensitive to the fact that there is racism in in this right. country which of course and what we should Forrest, do about
1: it. you know can't do, but you know like it it's asking too much of that character, but i I do think like there's a moment um where they have Wallace talking in front of uh the University of Alabama um saying you know standing making a stance against desegregation and uh forrest asks what's going on and another white student uses two slurs mm-hmm. um yeah. and i was sort of taken back actually um but it, you know of course it's a historical context but he uses two slurs back to back and like the first one um you know uh forrest doesn't understand yeah. Yeah. and um but you are i think at that moment supposed to be like that guy is a bad guy. That guy is racist. Mm. I'm not that guy. I'm Forrest. Mm-hmm. But you don't want to be Forrest either. But I think this movie proposes that you should be like Forrest when it comes to race.
0: Okay, interesting. I mean, I agree that this movie is proposing putting Forrest forward as a kind of ideal of how to live. And we'll we'll talk a little bit about exactly what that ideal involves.
1: But I think the good parts about Forrest Gump is that he has he has such a good heart yeah. and he loves so fully and he's trusting um and like that's and he and he brings that kind of openness and love to everybody he meets regardless of who they are
0: yeah and i think that is an ideal to strive for yes. i think i think that's in anything, not a bad thing <laughs> there, you know i think we just have to distinguish two things one is the ideal person citizen should be someone who understands the history of the situation that they're in and understands sort of the, the reasons for why there are these structural differences and so on, but is also prepared, I would I would hope, prepared to be colorblind in the following sense, in the sense that they're not prejudgmental about the people that they interact with or meet, um, that they try to see past whatever differences there might be and accept people for who they are. And so there, I think these things are not opposed. I think there that is an ideal, Also, you don't want to just think, if I adhere to that ideal, that solves everything else. That's the stupid view. But I think you can have both. And it's not clear to me that by portraying Forrest as someone who is adhering to the kind of, let's call it the interpersonal colorblind Mm -hmm. ideal, uh, that he thereby is excluding, they're thereby saying, well, then that's enough. Of course, that might be what's going on. And insofar as it is doing that, I agree with the, the critique.
1: Can I ask you what you make of the of his name and the Ku Klux Klan? Well, that's moment. what I want that's, that's what I was going to go about. So great. Then you, be- go, you because, go for because
0: because I think that there is a an element of uh historicity in the movie. Of mm-hmm. course it's done very, you know, quickly, uh, but the, but Forrest is named after um the founder of the Ku Klux Klan who was his Great great-grandfather. I think he said
1: related somehow. It okay, was,
0: maybe not. Yeah. Okay, whatever. He's somehow related to the founder of the Ku Klux Klan. And he's named after the person. And he and his mom basically says, Well, let's remind you that people do things that don't make any sense.
1: That but, drives me nuts.
0: Fine. Fine. <laughs> but but She's saying that to Forrest Gump. You got to remember that this movie is of course from the perspective of Forrest Gump who right. doesn't understand a lot of the... I mean, I think that, that And he the says main, multiple
1: times she has a way of explaining things yeah, in a way that helps me she's trying to explain things that are understand. like to a child. He's basically yeah. a
0: perpetual child. And so um, she's obviously explaining it in, sim- in simplistic terms. Now, what I think is... What, it, what I think the, the point of this is is actually to remind the audience that no matter how racially colorblind Forrest is racism is there it's baked mm-hmm. into it's in his name it's baked into the fabric of who he is as a person the privilege that he has when he walks through the world which we're going to get into and everything it's right there it's a constant reminder every time they say his name it is a reminder of that past
1: mm-hmm.
0: and not let's also remember that he grows up in on basically a plantation i mean it's clear right. that his this this house it was once a slave owner's, you know, house that was plant- probably a plantation home, And, you know, you, when you see these idyllic um, vistas, these idyllic Southern vistas and things, um, it, one way to see it is, oh, the South is beautiful. But I think if to anyone who knows the history of the American South, it's, it's inseparable to see those images and not think of things like lynchings and think of things like, um,
1: slave auctions. Yeah, exactly.
0: Just, and slave owners. And so I think it's right there that, you know, all these beautiful things are under the surface. We know what, what the the trauma that is accompanying that. Now we know that as the audience, of course, Forrest doesn't know that, Mm -hmm. but I don't think it's necessarily a criticism that the, you know because the i mean it, i don't think it's necessarily a fair criticism because the character is is written in such a way that he doesn't understand any kind of social dynamics let alone social structures right so you know of course he's going through the world blind to all this but um but we see it and you know we see it uh uh with baba and baba's family well, I'm going to talk about that in a second mm-hmm. um and him forced relationship to baba so i i do think that it's present now should it have been more present? Should it have been more baked in? Maybe. Yeah,
1: I think if you're gonna raise the Ku Klux Klan, you better, you better be more careful with it, I think. Um, you know, I think don't just don't raise that. I see I see I hear your point. I don't know that that the average viewer keeps that sort of history of racism then in their head going forward throughout the movie. I think it's just like Done almost in a sort of silly joke in the same tone when he says, like, mama says, like, people don't do things that don't make no sense. It almost feels like in the same tone as, like, when he makes, you know, he's running and he tells somebody a joke about or shit happens and then it turns into a bumper sticker. It has the same kind of feel. Similarly, like, if you're going to use a clip of Birth of the Nation in the same way that you just pop it in with a, you know, a sort of um, the the footage of Lenin or something, it feels flip to me uh it doesn't feel like this movie really like engages with it it and i don't miss that's fine. Yeah. It's it's a blockbuster movie, and I'm not asking it, you know to everybody to stop and have like a deep conversation about racism. But I would prefer him not raise Ku Klux Klan at all.
0: Okay. Well, actually, on the Birth of a Nation thing, I think what's fascinating to me—he's
1: not Spike Lee.
0: But what's fascinating to me is that he uses Birth of a Nation footage. So he's mm-hmm. cutting him back into he's cutting Forrest into Birth of a Nation footage. Now, Birth of a Nation is D.W. Griffith's movie um, about like the triumph of the Ku Klux Klan, and it's he- widely heralded or was widely heralded as like a masterpiece of early, you know, American cinema. And then people were like, well, wait a second. This is about like a Ku Klux Klan. This is complete, completely like horrible racist stuff. And there's guys in blackface and it's, it's just completely uh, absurd. Um, But, but think about what I just said. So, there it's it's this movie that's heralded as like a a, a cornerstone of American cinema, like film and,
1: language is built on that exactly. Movie. Yeah. and it's it's, inha- it's a
0: racist thing. So yes. what he Zemeckis yeah. is doing is he's calling out just as much as he's calling out that racism is a part of Forrest's heritage. He's calling out that racism is a part of. His Robert Zemeckis as a white film Mm -hmm. producer in America, his heritage as well. He's calling the two out simultaneously, and I think that's actually
1: you think that's that's self
0: incriminating. I mean, it's certainly
1: there when Spike Lee uses it in um, Black Klansmen. I think that was that was explicit. Um, Yeah. I'm not as sure it's there in this movie, partially because I think the to- overriding tone is different. Um, but that's mm-hmm. going to be my yeah. where I just fall like that's just where like I land on all of these arguments. So let's. Um, you wanted to talk about Bubba a little bit,
0: okay? So I was reading actually an interesting article about that. It kind of raises exactly this point that that this movie is is problematically colorblind. Um, the article is uh, by Jennifer Wong. It's called "A Struggle of Contending Stories: Race, Gender, and Political Memory in Forrest Gump." Um, and in this article, I'm just going to read the quote because I think this is, this is a fast, I think this was one of the most interesting parts of this article. So says, Gump, the, the, the movie, advances a mythic American dream narrative that mutes the influence of race on Bubba's family's experiences. Bubba overcame his racial legacy, the film seems to say, because he dared to dream about owning his own shrimping boat and shared that entrepreneurial dream with Forrest. Individual initiative and support of an interested white capitalist, the narrative <laughs> insists, can overcome the impact of slavery. In light of the representation of racism and the reimagining of the history of white oppression in the film, the need for race-based political remedies, such as affirmative action, is eliminated. Okay, so that's the, mm-hmm. that I think puts, puts the point you've been pushing very, like, that's at one instance, but she's, she's really sort of articulating this idea that yeah. it's like, look, if you just work hard and have, like, if you're entrepreneurial enough and you make the right friends, like, you can do fine. Mm-hmm. You know, it's just slavery has played no role in it. Yep. Um, okay, so, I, I think what's interesting about this is that she herself says the very thing that I want to say in response. That... Well, and, and this is in a parenthesis, and support of a, um, an interested white capitalist. And I think that is really important. I think this film is deeply pessimistic about the potential for repara- like racial reparations in mm. this country. Bubba is not portrayed as just having a shrimping empire on his own. He's portrayed as dying, first of all. Yeah, and, and he doesn't his, make it. He's, he's, his family is sort of pulled out of poverty just by happenstance because they happen to be, you know, happen to get the like beneficence of one white guy. But if you think about it, that's not a generalizable scenario. That's not like, oh, this is like a solution to the problem. This is just like one family got lucky. And I think the movie suggests that sure, it's great for them. But what's pessimistic is that they're the only family that, the, that actually mm-hmm. is, is sort of solved. Their, you know, situation is solved, right? Everyone else, just racism continues to exist and they're just screwed, right? They're like, this is no, rep, this is no solution to a, to a general problem. This is just one person doing a nice thing. And I think it's telling that it's got, it had to be the white guy who did it. Now, one way of reading that is it's like, oh, like black people need white people to like solve their problems. You could read it that way. That's fine. I don't read it that way. I read it as pessimistic. I read it as it's going to take both sides coming together. But look, look at who is the person on the on the side of the white people that helps. It's like a guy who doesn't know any doesn't know anything about the situation. So then you think, well, who nobody else is going to help them. Like then you're left feeling like, oh man, it's we're fucked. And I think that is this. That is this. That's exactly the viewpoint of. The person Jennifer Wong, who's articulating this, artist, is like, "Yeah, we are fucked. Like, we need s- s- we need general structural reform, and it's not coming." Now, okay, I'm reading a certain degree into this, but uh, but here's the best case I can make for this: is basically this. Nowhere in the movie does it say, "And then racism is cured, like, and then no, we solved it, you know, not. and then like everything is good." I, I, what it portrays is one person having like a ben- like their life is benefited, and like I think the myth in America, is that like when Bill Gates donates a lot of money to some school, like that somehow does anything. And -hmm. it doesn't, it doesn't solve anything. Right. And I think so insofar as this movie can be criticized, it, it could, it should be criticized on the grounds that it portrays one story where the solution is for that person is get some, you know, get the beneficence of a white guy. Mm -hmm. But but then show the bigger picture show that like nothing else really changed yeah. so that's the criticism and i i hear that criticism but at the same time i think to the to the people leveling that criticism i'm like yeah but this is this is still just a story about like three people basically and like it's zoomed you know weirdly in even though it's still talking about these broader themes right. so i think it's unfair to think like the it's per- portraying Forrest as you know as this is an actual solution to our problems
1: as you were saying that um i my mind circle back a little bit to to the birth of the nation thing and um the role of a further back history in this movie mm-hmm. um because i was just thinking about about uh mrs Bubba, G- Mrs. Bubba, <laughs> I don't know what. Yeah, her- I don't know Mrs. Her name. Blue, his last Mrs. name is Blue. Blue. Yeah. Mrs. Blue, and he has. Um, I think w- it's actually when he's just when he first meets Bubba, I think, and Bubba is explaining that he knows everything about the shrimping business and that his mom's mom, his grandma and his great grandma, like cook shrimp and know everything about cooking shrimp. Right. And there's this quick scene where basically they're like mammy characters, like bringing in shrimp to white. Yeah you know, slave owners. I'm assuming these those yeah. women are slaves, and then maybe domestic servants in the in the most recent e- example. Um, but he does it a couple of times. And we've seen F- F- Forrest's great great somebody mm-hmm. uh, in in the Ku Klux Klan founder. We see Mrs. Blue's ancestors yep. and we see Dan, Lieutenant Dan's ancestors, yep. who just quickly in rapid succession die in every yep. in every war. And and perhaps there is like what I'm not, I wasn't getting enough credit to this movie for sort of trying to grapple with how your, how your ancestors and their trauma and their experiences and their disadvantages live on in you.
0: Yeah. Uh, de- yes. I want to talk about that. I de- We should uh, put a pin in that though, because Great. I do want to come back to that point. Um, but what, something you said actually suggested another pessimistic greed. So okay. I'm just going to keep taking these things and finding pessimistic greeds to try okay. to convince you that there's actually something more. <laughs> it's not a model movie. Um, so, so think about what you, what you said was, um, uh, you, you know, all this shrimping knowledge is mm-hmm. in Bubba's family, mm-hmm. right? It goes back all these, and it's not in Forrest's family. He doesn't know anything about shrimp. He just learns it all from Bubba, and then he creates a shrimp empire. Now, granted, he gives it, some of it to Bubba, but, right? Although but,
1: Lieutenant Dan thinks he's nuts to do yes, it. Yes,
0: but exactly. But <laughs> yeah. what ha- what is that? What What does that remind you of? Uh, Cultural appropriation. Celebrity
1: chefs taking. <laughs> <laughs> no, cultural appropriation. Yes, I know right? I was thinking. And about, yeah. you've
0: got Elvis yeah. depicted in this movie as well, right? Who was who's so yeah. famously attacked for being a for culturally appropriating black music and so on and like taking and making it like acceptable to the white mm. folks, right? Mm-hmm. And you might wonder whether this is this is being portrayed cynically and pessimistically as, yeah, this is just another instance of there's all this uh, you know cultural knowledge among black families you know slave families that's then taken by white people and, and capitalized mm-hmm. on by white people and this is and this is actually not put forward as or well here's the thing if he were to do it and not give credit it would then be bad but he does give credit so if in a way it is a kind of saying you know this is how you should do it you sh- if you're going to profit off of this this slave knowledge you should be giving that back so if anything it's a a pro-reparation come on (gasps) we just did it we
1: oh my god come on you guys we we broke this thing wide open
0: do you see why I wanted to get that in there? That was really okay. So there we go. Forrest Gump as pro reparation. <laughs> <pro-reparation>. Okay. So <laughs>
1: Dee, de, 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 breaking news.
0: <laughs> um okay. So do you wanna let's set aside race now? We, we uh, yeah. Do you wanna do historicity? Because I mean it's related. We should pivot to to, yeah. to history. Um uh so the way I think of this,
1: <laughs> I feel like we like blew out the mics. We we're so excited about reparations. Hell yeah. Okay.
0: <laughs> Come on, I'm glad I'm glad you saw where I was going I with. I love that. that. Yeah. Um Okay. So Okay, so uh uh on the, the 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 sort of role of history. So this is Gump's movie ultimately. But but of course Gump he he doesn't have any character arc in this movie? Mm-hmm. He ends the movie in exactly the same place he starts the movie. Effectively, he and uh, Wong notes that he has the same haircut throughout. We're gonna come back to this idea. Yeah, except of when him he's running, being unchanged. That's true. No, yeah. that's that's true. you but, have time
1: to get a haircut. Yeah,
0: yeah, that's true. <laughs> but but he ends the movie with the exact same haircut it's yeah. his first, you know, temporally his first scene in the
1: movie. Mm-hmm. Um, you mean like when he's a little kid yeah, when he, getting the braces, the kid,
0: but also when the first appearance of, of Tom, Tom Hanks himself, right? Yeah. He's got yeah. the exact same haircut. Yep. Okay, so um, he doesn't have any arc, but two characters who are adjacent to him have arcs, big arcs, Mm -hmm. Jenny and Lieutenant Dan. Both of those characters um, are grappling with the history that they have inherited from their ancestors. Jenny is grappling with a history of abuse. Mm. In Jenny's case, uh, I think it's clear that her father is a World War II vet who... Um, because she's born in 45. So you think, yeah. okay, this exactly. Um, and he's an alcoholic. The mom's not around, unclear what happened with the mom. Did she die or something?
1: Yeah, she went to have him in juice him in a five. Or okay. Yeah, she said that.
0: And he's he's sexually abusive to her and an alcoholic. And so she has this like deep, you know, baked in history of abuse that we can imagine comes from the wartime, maybe the wartime experiences of her father. So war is playing a crucial role in the shaping of what's going to turn into a a history of abuse. That's going to lead to ultimately to her tragic uh, death. Lieutenant Dan, as you just pointed out, has a history of, um, that he like it's, it, but it's like a cherished history of heroism, of national his, service of national service in his family, <laughs> yes, and he has it to- they all died
1: be- for the, this their country. that's right. Yeah.
0: He bears the weight of that in that he feels like he has to do that too, to live up to the standards set by his ancestors. Um, and so both of them are grappling with their histories. And of course, Dan is denied he's, his destiny. He's denied the destiny because he saves him. And this is the, the the point of ultimate conflict between him and Forrest and like for him in the entire movie is, is this, he just is constantly concerned that he was cheated out of his destiny. Jenny is driven by the history of abuse to constantly ending up with guys, the, the wrong guys in a way, who abuse her. She's, she's consistently shown to be with guys who are um, ha- ha- hitting her uh, right, she's got a black eye in the one scene where she's walking out the door. Mm-hmm. Um, she, the guy that the, the SDS uh, president from Berkeley, who Wesley, she's I Wesley, who same. she's with, yeah. uh, hits her uh, during the Black Panther party. So she has, um, you know, and and the only guy who is um, who's protective of her um, in a way, who's constantly trying to save her from these these more aggressive uh, abusive guys, is Forrest. And yet she doesn't want to be with him. And one read on that, I mean, there's a lot of reasons I think she doesn't want to be with Forrest, uh, which we'll get into. But one is that she doesn't see Forrest as a potential, you know, lover or whatever. Partly because he isn't—he doesn't fit that stereotype of mm-hmm. the kind of aggressive, um, well, aggressive towards women,
1: yeah.
0: uh, sort of hyper-masculine, macho guy um and so it is i think there's a tragedy there in that like she the history of abuse has like you know shoehorned her into uh, a, a position where she sort of sees the world in this kind of unfortunately skewed way and i think that that's not a an uncommon phenomena unfortunately um where the abuse kind of perpetuates itself by no not you at know, all through the choices that people end up making yeah. through how it shapes their preferences you know as they go through life and
1: it seems sort of like in a couple of her interactions, her sexual interactions with Forrest, it also kind of feels like she doesn't know how to interact with men um, or like have intimacy with men without like without her body, without using sex, that's right. um, because yeah. like that's all she's been since as long as she can remember. She's been sexualized. She's been used. Yeah. Um, and that does, I think, you know, that is very much a real thing, too, for women who have experienced that kind of abuse and trauma. Um, but cause I think there, you know, there's a scene early on when they're in college and, and she puts her hand, his hand on her breast and he's definitely, you know, maybe attracted to her, but I don't think he wanted that. Like he's confused by the whole yeah. thing, but she doesn't really feel like she, it feels like she doesn't know how to in- interact with men in any That's other right. way. That's right. How right. to be in any other way. Like her deaf, her, her identity is bound up in her sexuality, um, in a painful way for her.
0: I mean, let's get into that. So I think that Jenny and Forrest's relationship, I mean, is super tragic and and exactly for this reason. Because what Forrest wants is companionship. Mm-hmm. He wants someone, he wants a surrogate mother, ultimately. Yeah. He wants, the, he wants a, someone who can fill the role of his mother, who can be a companion to him, guide him. You know, he doesn't want a sexual partner. But Jenny only thinks that he wants her in that way
1: that's how all the other men treat of her of course and yeah. he, he
0: says I want to marry you and sh- I know what love is and she's like you don't know what love is because sh- she's like you don't know what like you don't have sexual de- like sexual desires and that kind of thing that's like not yeah, on your maybe radar yeah but Jenny
1: doesn't know what love is no I think that's of yeah. course
0: of course Um, uh, yeah that's the irony of that line
1: will you marry me I'd make a good husband Jenny you
0: would Forrest
1: But you won't marry me.
0: You don't want to marry me.
1: Why don't you love me, Jenny? I'm not a smart man.
0: But I know what love is. They've been just spending time together, and he's like, this is what I wanted, right? I want the relationship that we had when we were, what, eight?
1: You must be peas and carrots. I totally
0: guess. asexual, just we're friends relationship. And that's all it is. And then Forrest says, Will you marry me? And this immediately you see the reaction on her face. Her everything changes for her. Yeah. She because she was, I think, enjoying this kind of friendship thing. But then she thinks that what Forrest wants is a sexual relationship or one that would. Effectively prevent her from having a sexual relationship with other men, and so she she's that's when she that's when she I think decides I'm I'm leaving like I I don't want to be here for this like I can't because it's going to hurt him. But she also decides to give him
1: what she thinks he wants because she
0: thinks that he wants it, and so she she has sex with him that one night and then leaves the next morning because she's like well. I'll just give him what he wants once and then hopefully then that'll be that but we can't be together. Well not that it will put it to rest. It's sort of like a it's a sympathy lay right because she's just like I'll do it once but like this isn't gonna go anywhere because we can't really be in a relationship. That's not how this works.
1: Um, Yeah and she gives him back his medal of honor when she leaves too which is sort of like a like don't hold on to me anymore.
0: Exactly. Yeah Exactly. Now it's worth thinking a little bit more about this point about why Jenny leaves. So one is that I think she thinks the relationship isn't going, couldn't really go anywhere. But I I think it's worth interrogating a little bit about why she thinks that. And I think Jenny, it's not just that Jenny is this like sexual object who like wants sex and she only can understand how to, you know, understand the world through sex. I think Jenny has aspirations. I think. Oh, yes, yeah. for sure.
1: I didn't mean to say no, that. No, no, no. I know. I'm just,
0: I'm just clarifying <laughs> this point. Yeah. I, I think Jenny, um, Jimmy, she, mean, she explicitly says she wants to be a singer. She wants to be famous. She wants to, I think she wants to participate in something that's bigger than her. She wants to participate in the, uh, um, you know, in the movement, in the in the in the in the counterculture movement, right? Um, and I think that that uh, ambition that she has is, in her mind, incompatible with being with Forrest Gump because Forrest Gump he's not the kind of partner that would facilitate this kind of life. Mm-hmm. She wants to be with Wesley, who's like that. She's attracted to him because he's the president of the SDS chapter, the student chapter in Berkeley, and so he. Like that's she wants to be with the movers and the shakers in the protest movement. Um, And that's what she... She has these ambitions to do this kind of thing. And she's thwarted at every turn because every time she gets with one of these guys, they just turn out to be a douche. They just turn out to be losers. Yeah. They turn out to be like assholes.
1: Assholes who don't consider... Who treat her like a sexual object and don't consider her an equal. Exactly. Like, it, Wesley says something about like, oh, I know I shouldn't have brought you. I knew it would be a bullshit hassle. Yeah,
0: exactly. Yeah, exactly. And so that's what i that's i i think what's tragic is that she is denied at every turn the very thing that she wants forrest is of course denied the, at every turn the very thing he wants mm-hmm. and they're denied when you know in a way they could have been together but it it but it's because she actually has these ambitions and forrest isn't really in a position to sort of facilitate that in any way it's unclear if he would be incompatible with it but it's it's certainly not going to help and she doesn't want to live in Alabama, right? She wants, she's like a global woman. She wants to go and, you know, be where the action is. And so she doesn't want to settle down with Forrest in his mom's house. So that's why I think, that's, re- that's really why I think she leaves. She, in that moment, I think all that happens on her face. You just see it and you're like, she's just like, I came back to like chill with you and get clean, but it was never going to be forever. Yeah. Because, I, you know, I want to I go and do something with my life. What's, of course, deeply sad is that then she's in a, put in a position where she has a son, she's going to die, and she realizes that she has an ultimate regret. That, like, these opportunities that she was looking to fulfill, you know, in her life, to become someone, um, you know, famous or whatever, to be a singer or whatever, um, they're closed. Those opportunities are over. Like, mm-hmm. she's going to die in a few years, and her son's going to be an orphan. And I think that's why she reaches out to Forrest and she just comes around and she's like, you know what, this put it all in perspective for me. Like, it, all this other stuff I was chasing, it was for naught. And, um, you know, it was a mistake. And she deeply regrets that. And and it's I think it's a powerful exchange between her effectively on her deathbed because it's the last scene they have together. It's so
1: beautiful. I wish I could have been there with you.
0: You were. I love you. And I mean, it's just I feel like it's emotion it's a great emotional payoff because, you know, it it shows how in a way Christ like he is, he forgives her for, for the for her choices to not be there with him in these moments, he's just saying like, Oh, you were, you were in my heart the whole time. Like yeah. it's, it's
1: yeah. It's a double whammy. Cause it's, you know, she's regretting the the time she wasn't with Forrest, Um, and the things she missed out on as a result of that. And she's also re- like understanding that she'll never like get to see that late, yeah. you know, her, she's going to have no more experiences. That's it. That's, that's it. Yeah. yeah.
0: And she won't get to have a life with this man who she realizes is a good man.
1: He's a good man. He's a
0: good man, ultimately.
1: And can I just quickly, you mentioned the AIDS thing. I will say that um, one of the critiques that's also leveled against this movie that I see quite a lot that I don't agree with, but I just do want to mention it here, is that some people think it's an anti-feminist movie and that um, all of the the you know horrible experiences that jenny goes through is kind of like the film uh punishing jenny for her promiscuity um or even maybe her counterculture like if you want to if you want to interpret this movie as like a conservative movie um i think it's mostly like the like People say, oh, you know, Jenny got AIDS because the movie doesn't like women having sex. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think that is true of that movie at all. I think that's an uncharitable and wrong read of the movie. Um, but I do think I do think it's like worth noting the like where we were in terms of like the the narrative around AIDS in 1994 um like Jerry Falwell you know claimed that AIDS was like God's punishment for homosexuals and I do think there was a moment in you know right when people started getting diagnosed with HIV and it was predominantly among among about among gay people I think there was this narrative from conservatives and that like it was a disease that that happened to people that had the wrong kind of sex Yep.
0: Yeah, promiscuous
1: sex outside of marriage yeah. or or homosexual sex or like or they were you know engaging in people engaging in behaviors Drugs like drug stuff. using yeah. yeah um it was kind of, there was a kind of like a these people brought it on themselves kind of narrative yeah. so by giving by having jenny contract aids in the end of this movie does it feels it feels loaded in this particular cultural moment but i don't but i don't think that that reading of the movie is actually right
0: well before i articulate my counter okay let me just add on to the foul well kind of thing just to stack the deck against myself. So the argument that this movie is fundamentally conservative Uh uh, goes kind of like that. So it starts with, okay, yeah, so Jenny's portrayed as engaging in counterculture activity, um, promiscuous sex, drug use. Um, She, uh, you know, is living a kind of uh, a life that goes against sort of middle-class American values. Forrest, on the other hand, um, is portrayed as, broadly speaking, embodying 50s American cultural values and looks the entire movie. He doesn't change. He's yeah. the same guy he was in the beginning of the movie. He's never, he's never his va- or his values really ever tested or challenged. He's just the same dude the whole time. And so you might read that as, um, uh, here's here's Wong again, by constituting itself. As a universal set of norms by which to make sense of the world, uh, the dominant white order reasserts the timelessness of the traditional American values that are coded white and male. Gump argues that eventually these conservative values, not alternative liberal ones, explored in the 60s will survive the test of time. Mm-hmm. Okay, so that's the kind of, concert like, this is a conservative movie read, is like, In the end, Jenny dies and it's up to Forrest, the guy who was doing the right thing all along to raise the son, right? To be this like, you know, hero father figure. Um, Okay, that's the take. Mm -hmm. So the counter is this. Um, My counter is that Jenny is a stand-in in in a way for the entire Baby Boomer generation. So her story is the story of... um, uh she's born into suffering because she's born in at the at the end of a war world war ii like the baby boomers uh her parents are members of the silent generation so this is a generation that are you know uh you know abusive but they're not going to talk about their problems um and uh she rebels against that obviously there's these people are strict and everything and and so she, she goes to the 60s and she says, okay, I'm going like, to take part in this important cultural movement. Um, uh, but then the system sort of chews her up, right? The, it, she learns that social movements are great, but, you know, it's hard to change the society. And there's a lot of people that don't want you changing it. It's so a pushback to that kind of stuff. And the movement fizzles out and she finds herself you know, dejected in the '70s, doing a lot of drugs, and right, she's doing cocaine and stuff, and the kind of like um, disco theater and everything. Um, and you know, she she I think you know she tries to commit suicide at one point, and I think she is uh, wondering whether the values that she really emb- thought for was fighting for uh, in the '60s are really ultimately. Um, a worth fighting for, and B, you know, achievable, and so on. Right? Okay. So, as certain cynicism sets in, and I think that set in with the baby boomers, uh, then th- that that kind of cynicism that let that led all this drug use and stuff and these excesses of the seventies, you know, takes its toll. And one of two things can happen. So, one is you, you get clean, you get your act together, and you become a, a a Wall Street banker, and you you know, and then you know, you become super rich. Uh, the other thing is you you die, right? Because the excesses just take their toll. And if you think about it, a lot of people died of overdoses and you know all these things because people were living a fast life. Like a lot of famous musicians mm-hmm. um, uh, from that era uh, didn't didn't do too well. Um, and and so I think those were really you know that's what you have. And and, and the people that lived became corporate. I mean, it's just, that's how it works. Like, the the system isn't, isn't designed to like, allow for these kind of revolutions. It just, it just embodies, it just takes them in and makes them part of the system. And that's what you, that's what you see with the baby boomers is like, they just morphed into, it's, it's depicted perfectly in the big chill, right? They just become bankers and lawyers and You're gonna sneak
1: that big chill in there, huh? I'm just saying,
0: that's what happened. And, and, you know, um, now, what are we going to make of that? Well, one pessimistic read is like revolution is impossible, mm-hmm. right? In a capitalist system, it just doesn't, it's it it will always just take it in and like just make it, you know, impossible to actually have genuine uh revolutionary, you know, ideas take foot. Um, and uh and I that's what happens with Jenny, you know, it just it 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 just ends up taking its toll on her, all the um you know all the the fighting that she's doing and um not to mention of course what it's doubly taking its toll on her because she's a woman doing all this mm-hmm. right so she's not just like a guy who might like wesley maybe he's fine at the end of the day he becomes a bro- stockbroker jenny is 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 basically kicked to the curb and um you know she she's a waitress um uh just trying to keep it together for her son um at the end of the movie basically and so you know i think that that this idea that like forest is some saint figure we should all be you know embodying the kind of values that forest does i think there's an aspect of that that's right but i don't think it's necessarily in contrast to jenny Mm -hmm. i think i have a different explanation of why there's that contrast between jenny and forest of what's going on in the movie but we'll get to that but yeah Mm -hmm. but i don't think it's um it's supposed to be some sort of take home about I don't know conservative versus liberal liberal values and I think it's partly because she's a stand-in for the the boomer generation and the, and the sort of the rise and fall of of the I don't know the hit of the the counterculture movement in yeah. that generation.
1: I agree with that. I agree with that Reed. So
0: on the um uh on the uh on the sort of Gump versus Jenny sort of thing. I mean my take on this is that again it's reflective of gender dynamics in in this country. So if Jenny is a representative of the baby boomers, um, and and she's also a representative of women in the society, right? She who are basically just used and abused. Um, you know, that's the least the the sad um generalization of of that that we see again and again. Um and a forest is, by contrast, the white man. So he embodies um the uh, the privilege of uh, a white guy in America, right? He's descended from slave owners, so he has all the money that he's got by ex- his ancestors exploiting slaves. He's got the right color skin, mm-hmm. so nobody's going to doubt, even if they think he's stupid. Nobody's going to doubt, like you know, his intentions. They're not going to think he's going to be a, a thief or something like that. Yeah, um, and he's not uh, threatening to people and so on. He's also a man so he's afforded all the privileges of of being a man um you know it, it's 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 actually i'm trying to think of examples where that, that where that comes into play but 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 effectively he 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 has those privileges by basically being a physically aggressive you know physically aggressive towards people who might you know be trying to hurt jenny right mm-hmm. so whereas jenny doesn't have the ability to sort of physically defend herself against these stronger men Forrest can step in, and so he's afforded that kind of respect that's not afforded to Jenny. Um, now, question, I think those are all there, but the question is like, is the movie saying that's a good thing? I don't, I don't think so at all. I think if anything, the movie's saying nothing about that, or it's just being like, yeah, this is, this is what society in America ha- was, has been like in the 20th century.
1: I don't think it's – I think the problem with the movie is that it doesn't feel like it's making a commentary at all. It just is showing the world as it is in a way that's not only uncritical but celebratory and turning it into like – in when you said earlier that like that Forrest Gump is a cipher and, we, and there's universality to him and we all can see ourselves in, there, in him. Yes, that's true, sort of, except for the part where he has all these enormous privileges that are never really acknowledged. I think – and it's almost like you might think this movie is about him sort of overcoming his challenges, being that he has a low IQ, except for he has to overcome nothing. Mm-hmm. Um, and and Sally Fields, Mama Gump at one point, um, you know, uh, fights for him to go into the public school because he's just below the IQ level and they want to send him to special school. And she's like, no, no, no. He's going to be afforded all the same opportunities as every other kid. And you know, like it, she needn't have bothered, honestly, because it feels like having a low IQ and being dumb like doesn't seem to matter at all in <laughs> yeah. this world, as yeah. long as because he just floats by, um, but by, just simply by virtue of being a nice white guy, yep. it feels. Um, and it's like a celebratory movie, and he's our hero, and that feels kind of icky to me. And I don't think, I don't think that this movie has a critique in it mm-hmm. um, about gender. I think. Zemeckis uh, is just wanted to tell a story about what he thought was an everyman, and and perhaps celebrate like a a self made story. No, mm. that's not quite right. Never mind. I'm gonna go back on that because I think there's a lot more stuff about the, in this movie about chance. Yeah, we'll get to the fate. chance, bit, so. chance
0: bit. But I have two distinctions I want to make. Yeah, One is please. that uh, just on that last point is is when I say that things are like critiques or part of the movie or thematically interwoven. You
1: don't care about shit. I don't shit. care
0: about the intention of the yeah, author. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we can have that debate. I think it's not a particularly interesting debate because it's a debate that would be just be settled by reading interviews with him. And I just don't I'm I'm interested more in what is in the text that mm-hmm. I can that I got out of as a viewer. And I'll do my best to articulate that. And you might disagree. That's fine. But yeah. um but, but that's taken. the kind of game I'm playing. And so methodologically, that's just, I just think that's a more interesting way to engage with this. Now, the yeah, rules of that you. debate are tricky, but I, you know, we, we can talk about that. But but uh, yeah, so some of the things I'm saying might be considered overreaches by other people. That's totally fine. But I think there's room to, to, just, to play the argument's that. The argument whether
1: or not it's there in
0: the text. Yeah, that's yep. the thought. though. The argument is yep. whether at least it, it's provoking that from the text. Maybe yeah. it's not even there. I don't even no, know what it means to yeah. be there. Yeah, I
1: mean, but. I... I if it's there in that, I certainly thought about white male privilege a lot while watching this movie.
0: I mean, that's kind of all I'm have in mind is if, yeah. it's, if it's bringing it to your mind now. now, of course, if it's glorifying it and you feel like it's doing it in a way that's like not making not understanding what it's doing, that's different. And you can say, yeah, that's a I think a reasonable position. I to think have it's flirting sure. with that. yeah, it,
1: it's yeah. not glorifying. It is it and like as in it's not making an argument like isn't white privilege the best um but it's glorifying gump and his experiences yeah um that have all that like without sort of acknowledging yeah but the other other thing
0: is that it's not yeah not the not acknowledging not understanding that gump well the reason really the reason why gump can walk through the world and jenny can't in this way is because he's a man like if it's if it's missing if it's portraying that but not sort of in a knowing way whether or not it's intended. I feel that. I feel
1: that like what this movie's thesis is is that like that Forrest Gump has had the successes he's had because he is pure and kind uh, and open-hearted and like that and I, you know, those are wonderful values that we should all and that he lives in the moment and as a result, like as the wind blows him around, he makes lemonade out of lemons and he, you know, good things happen to him. I think that is the thesis of the movie. And the problem with that is that there's a whole lot more going on to DeForest's successes than simply his good-heartedness. Yeah,
0: another way of putting it is that if if Jenny was Yeah, not get any of this. <laughs> in his position, then do you think it would be different? Or if it was Bubba in this position? Yes. Be, yeah, okay. Right. Yeah, good. That's a, those are, I think that that's a, that's a, an important. Like, I thought
1: about that with the ping-pong thing where they pluck him out and they're yeah. like, great, you now you get to represent the country to play ping-pong. Right. Would they have picked a black yes. soldier to right. play ping-pong? Right. In China? Hell no.
0: Yeah. That's right. It's actually interesting, again, that it's a black soldier who teaches him ping pong.
1: Yes, it's true. Yeah.
0: Um, I want to make one other distinction, which yes. is, so just in case this wasn't clear at the beginning, this Gumpa's cipher is different from us being able to identify with with, with Gump's story. Oh, so I okay. want to distinguish Thank these you. two things. Yeah. So, so the Gumpa's cipher is meant internal to the reading of the movie. So the characters in the movie all see him as whatever they want. I'm not suggesting we see him that way. We 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 as the audience know what's going on. We're not you know we're not necessarily. I mean, maybe some people are going to read him differently because they're going to read his actions differently. Like they're going to read him as saint-like, or they're going to read him as you know the kind of um, you know just just a fool or something, right? Okay, okay,
1: okay. I, 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 I understand
0: but that. But so I'll give you a couple examples of the cipher thing in a second. But the, but the, the, the I thought of just being able to sort of identify with this story, I meant this. At its core, if you abstract away from all the stuff we've been talking about—the historical context and stuff—this is a story about a tragic story about um, you know love and being sort of unable to be the be with the person you love, and uh, you know trying to be a good person in a world that um, you know in a way is not going to let you achieve the things you want. Because ultimately, Forrest achieves a lot of stuff that we want, but he doesn't want any of that stuff. Yeah, he wants to just be with Jenny, and he's just prevented from it. And I think there's it's. I think <laughs> yeah. that is emotionally. What
1: was it? I read some review that was like he would have been happier with a million less shrimp and a little bit more Jenny. Yeah, exactly.
0: He <laughs> he wants to just. That's all he wants, and and he's denied that. And I think how he deals with that is. The is the aspect of in which I think I want to try to be more like mm-hmm. how he deals with being denied the things that he wants and nonetheless persists in his good natured turn the other cheek kind of attitude acceptance of his fate and that kind of thing. That's I think the thing that I think it's more of an abstract thing that we sh- I think we should identify with and and sort of extol the virtues of. Mm-hmm. This other stuff is you know we're talking about these other big structures in the movie and and and. But I was thinking—that's what I meant by the the, by the the identification. We can identify with him as a human being who's experiencing profound emotions. Yeah, yeah. His mom dies, and his best friend dies, and he goes through this cathartic. Yeah, his wife dies. His cathartic relationship with his father figure, Lieutenant Dan, which we're going to come to in a second. Yeah, Um, I know you
1: want to get into Lieutenant Dan of it all.
0: Yeah, I'm saving that. Okay, Gump as Cipher. So what I meant about this is just different characters see him different ways. So some. Like, especially as obviously the people who follow him when he's running seem as sort of a holy figure, as like a guru. He's a kind of eternal innocent, right? In that he he can just walk through the world oblivious to all the complexities in which he sees it always as like a child does. And so some people sort of see him that way. Um, some people see him as sort of like a fool that can be exploited. Athletically, as the you know, in the football team, mm-hmm. um, as a political tool, when he's being sent to China for the ping pong thing and all that. Uh, some see him as a genius, right? In the army, he's seen as a as a genius. You're
1: a goddamn genius! Yeah, that
0: which I love. I think it's hilarious. Yeah, it's um, a good scene. And 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 you know, some see him as a rich entrepreneur, like the guy on the bench. He's like, we're talking next, sitting next to a millionaire this whole time. Right? <laughs> like they just, everyone just sort of is able to see in him whatever it is they want. They just read into him whatever they want. When, of course, we see them as you know, kind of an empty vessel in a way, mm-hmm. and that allows these characters to kind of fill it, fill it, fill in the blank. Okay, that's what I mean by the the cipher stuff. Okay. Um, so, can you say your point one more time? about it? Um.
1: Oh my my. What I said was that I think the thesis of this movie is that Forrest comes to all of these good things by nature of his of his good heart, mm-hmm. um, and that ignores the amount, immense amount of privileges that he has yeah. in every other way. Yeah.
0: Yeah, good. So thanks for r- reminding me what that what the point was. And and my response to that point is just that yeah, it's not made explicit in the movie, but I think it's it's clear enough in what we see happens to Jenny and what we see happen to Baba and and so on and other people that enforce Forrest's life uh that their their fate is not as as happy as him. Mm-hmm. And so that just shows that there is something perhaps to this idea that uh, his privilege is is enabling him to succeed. Of course, what is also enabling him to succeed is just his ability and his good nature and his ability to sort of take what comes.
1: Um, right? Which is something that Lieutenant Dan really struggles with because there is another white man um, who has perhaps more privilege than Forrest Gump going into this movie. Um, You know, he has higher IQ. (laughs) He's a higher rank when we first meet him. Um, But he has a lot of trouble dealing with what comes dealing with sort of a change in the program, um, being denied the destiny that he thought that he was, uh, prepared for. Yeah.
0: My thinking on Lieutenant Dan, um, and the relationship that he and Forrest have is that it's a surrogate parent relationship in particular. Forrest's father has been absent the entire movie. We, we, we suspect he's left, um, mama Gump, uh, Years ago, and, and we, you know, he went for, on vacation. Yeah, exactly. Um, and so Forrest is looking for a father figure and he finds him in Lieutenant Dan. Lieutenant Dan, you know, P- Forrest even says at points, I hope I don't disappoint him. You know, it's the really, it's exactly the relationship like, you know, a child has to his father, a son in particular has to his father. Um, but it's also a, uh, an incredibly fraught relationship yeah. for most of the movie because Forrest saves him against Lieutenant Stan's wishes. Lieutenant Dan ends up in a, you know, as, a, as, as someone with no legs and he's, um, he's deeply ashamed of this and also the fact that he didn't die in the field and live up to his family's, uh, you know, honor and everything. But at the same time, I think before, long before he thanks Forrest and has his reconciliation with the forest, his initial reconciliation with the forest. I never thanked you for saving my life.
1: He never actually said so. But I think he made his peace with God.
0: He's grateful to Forrest. I think he knows that. And he and he and I, that comes out in how protective he is of Forrest and how much he does respect Forrest, even when he's being a total, you know, Jerk dick to him. him. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And I think what's interesting about that is that's a lot like a father-son relationship, in that the father might often feel like they can get away with saying certain things, like calling their son an idiot or a fool or something like that, which Lieutenant Dan does all the time. But he has a certain protectiveness over Forrest. And once one of the women they end up with at New Year's um, Eve uh, calls him stupid, Lieutenant Dan just flips out. Like He's at first fine with everything that's going on, but as soon as she calls him stupid, he gets angry and throws them out. And I think... um, that really shows that level of protectiveness that he has over Forrest. And it also shows how connected they are, and that it kind of presages what's going to happen where he's going to show up with, uh, he, you know, he promises Forrest that, like, as a joke almost, that I'll be your first mate on this boat. And then he he follows through, you know. Yeah. And
1: I also like that. Um. He says like, "Oh, the day that you got a shrimpo, like I'll be an astronaut." And then later, his legs are like made of the same titanium oh that they say use in space. I didn't. He's kind of like an astronaut man. That's
0: that's genius. And Isn't of course, cool? yeah. And of course, that is the re- exact. Re- that's the result of their of their shrimping exploits. Because now yeah. he's rich enough that he can he can sort of buy this. Stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's really interesting. I never. Th- I never. That's a good callback. That's a good callback. Um. So, but but I think their relationship is is very much like the, um, uh, the relationship of father to son in the sense that, you know, Forrest has to earn Lieutenant Dan's um, respect and also has to, they have to work out their, the conflict. And often the conflict, as is often the case with male conflict, it's totally unclear. Like, you know, what exactly is driving this conflict? And there's this anger beneath the surface for Lieutenant Dan. That comes out in, in, in these lashings out at Forrest. But then by the end of the movie, um, they have that second reconciliation at the wedding, which is I think a, a really earned moment where Lieutenant Dan comes and you know these two guys have just, they've lived, you know, they're not that old, but they've lived a lifetime together. They've been through some stuff. And you can just see how happy they are to be reunited and how they've got their lives sort of worked out in a way, right? They've, they've achieved what they wanted. Um, And you see that Lieutenant Dan, even though he doesn't say anything, you just, they look at each other and they have this look and he's, it's a look of respect and, and, and gratitude. Like he's saved. He's been saved by Forrest, not just his life, but Forrest also put him on the track to be saved because he was a depressive alcoholic and, and angry and bittered, guy about what happened, but Forrest saved him, put him on the track of towards a sort of salvation, right? Towards accepting his fate and what position he's been left with and finding some good in his life. And you see that, yeah, you see it on the look on their face. They have this moment where where that's all there, I think.
1: Yeah, yeah. It's a nice scene because it's like the two most important people in Forrest's life have met one another now. Finally meet, And they say, I think she even says like, oh my God, like it's so wonderful. I've heard so much about you or it's wonderful to meet you finally, right? You can imagine Forrest has just been talking to her incessantly about Lieutenant Dan and the other way around uh, to Lieutenant Dan about Jenny. You can imagine they're on that trim boat and he's like, shut up about Jenny already, um, But it's like that is kind of a special moment when you meet the other person, and yeah. you know the other sort of like tr- uh, you know node in the triangle of um, somebody you care a lot for, right. and you're just so happy that that person has found somebody that loves them the right way, as yeah. much as you love them in a different way, maybe. But like that's like a really beautiful feeling it's when really- you meet when you meet your best friend's partner. Yeah, exactly,
0: yeah. exactly, and they're just and they're just so, you know, finally content in their lives yeah. because they've gotten what they've wanted. And um part of getting what you wanted in the case of Lieutenant Dan is recognizing that the thing you were fighting against, you have to accept it. It's a certain kind of acceptance um and but and for Forrest it was just a, you know, he he was just a I don't know patient enough, I guess, <laughs> you know, cuz Jenny finally came around. But yeah. um yeah.
1: Yeah. And it's also nice when you see Lieutenant Dan and he says, um, when Lieutenant Dan basically is at peace, uh, and Forrest even says like, he never, he's never said so explicitly, but I think he made peace with his God and he jumps into the water. Um, and he's, he's living that ideal that Forrest Gump, like he's like enjoying his surroundings, enjoying the water, enjoying that moment, um, in a way that, you know, he was so consumed with his, um, frustrations and his spite and his regrets that you think, he, you know, he's probably never felt that water before. Yeah. I'm not sure what to make of this, but one of the things that I noticed watching this movie for the past couple of times is the through line of assassinations in this movie. Um, everybody that the, the, the Th- continually has some interaction with a, with a star or a leader that will be assassinated or there's going to be an attempt at assassination. Um, does he meet Ford at any point? I can't remember if he meets Ford, but he hears about it on the TV constantly in the background, always in the background, this constant assassination. And, um, in a movie that I think, you know, despite some of the, the darker readings that we've been giving into it is, is a very sunny movie. It's an interesting part of it that there's just like undercurrent of violence. Um, And it also, the other thing that I noticed related to sort of an undercurrent of violence is that, um, Forrest, um, very easygoing, happy guy, except for when somebody lays a hand on Jenny and then he becomes kind of like the guys that Jenny is with and that he becomes like this sort of like brutish, um, you know, protective man who treats women as just like objects that he needs to, you know, that he needs to protect, like, like, Almost like his property mm-hmm. as soon as the moment's over, he's not protected. He's not uh, possessive of Jenny in that way., yep. um, but I just noticed like when he is hitting Wesley in the Black Panther party, he is wailing on him, wailing on him, and like it m- is much more force than is necessary to just remove Jenny from the situation of being slapped. Yeah. Like he's, he's filled with rage in that moment yeah, and he's really hitting him. And you get the sense that almost like if you, he's a strong guy and like, if you let Forrest go, like he could have killed him if Jenny mm-hmm. were encouraging him and not, you know, protesting and pulling him away. Mm-hmm. Um, And that's something, it's just a little glimmer, but it's interesting that there's even in the sort of most like milk toast, sweet character of Forrest Gump, there's this like, the undercurrent of um of rage yep. and violence and perhaps that's what's also happening in his in the sort of the, the depiction of american history yeah yeah
0: yeah that's in this, right
1: in this tumultuous time there's a lot of really good things there's a lot of really hopeful things there's a lot of good music but there's also this undercurrent of violence i mean I, what and i want to
0: yeah what i want to build on that is i was thinking that um you know insofar as forest is a kind of stand-in for white american exceptional you know white american ideals in a certain way a certain type of of white American ideal. Um, it You know, and here's my Blue Velvet reading of this movie.
1: So, <laughs> oh my God. on the surface so of ready. it, like,
0: he's, he's this just 50s, like, you know, uh, guy. He does his job. He does what he's told. He's, a, he's got good natured. He protects women and all that sort of thing. But under the surface, he wants to kill it. You know, he, he's got this, like, drive to kill. <laughs> to kill. Now, what's that also like? Well, it's also a little bit like the way America perceives itself right? America in the 50s is like, we're we're a superpower, like um, we're the sort of leader of the world and everything like that, Uh,
1: but we're setting up dictatorships around around the world. Yeah, we're like
0: sowing dissent and that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. And also the history of America is one marked by an incredible amount of violence, including at the very beginning, right? Uh, A revolution. It starts with a revolution, um, a violent revolution, and um, you've got the Civil War, uh, all this depicted by the Lieutenant Dan stuff. So it's like it's almost like Forrest can't escape that history of violence that's present in mm-hmm. his genes almost. He's like he's it's it's almost like the genetic memory coming through the history uh, that he's inherited that's mm-hmm. like telling him to kill. um and uh, and so maybe that yeah, that's something about like that like America, despite the posturing of like, we're a peaceful country, you know, picket fences and everything. There's like this deep undercurrent of like it's savage like a, violence, like a
1: severed ear in our lawn. Yeah,
0: exactly. That's why I thought of it as blue velvety, is because that's that's like that that's sort of what Lynch is exploring in mm-hmm. Blue Velvet.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, so that's interesting. Yeah, I mean, another question I want to wonder about is just why does Forrest run? So what? I mean, of course, he's he said good. he just
1: felt like running. He's
0: good at running. Of course, he's good at running. So that's yeah. like one thing he can do that he's good at. Um, but my, I actually have a very straightforward answer to this question, which is, um, the moment in the movie where he decides to run is basically Jenny has come back and given him a glimpse of what their life could be. If she just stayed, they could have lived that life for 50 years, Mm -hmm. but instead she leaves. He's sitting in an empty house. Mama's dead. Bubba's dead. Lieutenant Dan's handling the finances. No one's around. It's a huge empty house on like, you know, acres of land. What is there there for him? Nothing. There's absolutely nothing there for him. But where could he go? He's not going to go like to Gump, ink and work and, you know, he's not going to do that. He doesn't have anywhere to go. So he decides to just, you know, live as a trial, you know, be in, itinerant mm. to just live wherever he is, to just be in the land. And um, so I kind of, I kind of, I kind of can make sense of that. I can make sense of what he's, he's just like, there's nothing for me here, but there's nothing for me anywhere. So I could just be anywhere.
1: Mm -hmm. And then
0: he just decides to just go. And I kind of get that, you know, like, yeah, um,
1: yeah. And it's funny too that the last thing you see Jenny say before she she the cab driver says, like, where are you running to? And she's like, I'm not running. Oh, that's funny. Uh, and then he goes and runs across the country many times. Yeah. But of course she's always running away too, she's but it's, running. A, it's a restlessness and yeah. a dissatisfaction for her that drives her running. And that's it's right. it's not for Forrest.
0: It's not. I think he's just I think he just has nothing else to do. You know, like he he doesn't have anywhere to be. He's not trying to find someplace. He's just Trying to live his life in different environments because he has no place that he can call home at that moment, I think. And so home is just wherever he is. I think that that's my take on why he runs. And I mm-hmm. and I just to get back to what I find admirable about the character is that Forrest can just live peacefully in the moment with whatever he's presented is a kind of ideal that I struggle with. Yeah. deeply, like just being content with what is happening, mm-hmm. being present and content with my, whatever's going on in my life in that yeah. exact moment. And I, I'm incredibly bad at this. And it, you know, has led to great amounts of anxiety in my life. And I wish I, you know, were able to accept a bad hand that's dealt to me as Forrest does when it, when, it, when he does as with basically everything with Jenny, he just, he never, as you pointed out, he never tries to possess her or he's happy for her when she is succeeding in the way she wanted to, right? He's happy for her when she's a stripper, basically, because he's like, she got what she wanted. She wanted to be a folk singer. She's on the stage yeah. with her guitar and he's just happy for her. He's not sad. He's not like, oh, great. Now she's going to have a career and I'll never see her again. He's just like, no, this is what she wanted. I think there's something greatly admirable about that and it's it's I think a, a a an ideal that I think very few of us can live up to but yet is worth striving for mm-hmm. I think to 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 really care about someone and love someone and love something in a way that that doesn't possess it right to not try to possess it and try to like hold on to it desperately but to like sort of let it fly free and he does again and again um And so I think there is, there's something quite admirable about that. And that's what I take away from, you know, if there is an ideal that we're supposed to take away from Forrest. I don't think it's his racial colorblindness. I think it's, it's that he can live simply and peacefully and contentfully in the world. And yeah, it's easier for him as a white man than if he was black or if he was a woman. Totally. But like, it's still an ideal for all of us to be able to like deal with the hand we're dealt, right? Actually embrace what's, what's happening in our lives.
1: Yeah. I agree with all that. I think, though, he could have Zemeckis, if you wanted to tell that story, could have, you know, made a fantasy movie, made set it in space, um, you know, did a number of things. But instead, <laughs> set it in space. no, here's what I mean, because he, you know. At the time when there was a discussion about liberal, conservative, blah blah blah, he's like, "This is a political movie." Except for that, he chooses to set it in a time, in a tumultuous American history time, in which, in particular, race mm-hmm. and civil rights are, you know, are bubbling over, and like one of like maybe accepting in this particular moment, like one of the most tumultuous times and yep. politically uh, polarizing times in American history. Yep. So it's a little odd to try to tell an apolitical story about living in the moment set within this context of history and then sort of like try and distance yourself from engaging in that history.
0: Okay. Counterpoint. Uh-huh. Yeah, You have to set this story in a tumultuous political time because you have to put him in a chaotic world to make it to make it plausible that like he's going to face a chaotic
1: world in space. Well,
0: no, but I think what I think is so interesting is that all this stuff is happening. And rather than fight what's happening, he just sort of flows with it. He flows with what's happening. If you know, if there's anything about, okay, here's, here's the pessimistic slash twist to optimistic take that I'm about to throw in there. The pessimistic read is, well, look what happened to the to the boomers they 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 fought this fight and then they got agglomerated into the system and they they really changed nothing. optimistic spin what should you do when you're facing a kind of inevitable inevitability to to the world you could just you could just you know rail your hands against it or you could just go with the flow and let that you know let be what is out of your control now um that's going to sound defeatist but i think that there is a you know and especially to the most radical or revolutionary minded of 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 us we might think no that's throwing in the towel like don't yeah. do that okay but you know I, I think there's a way to kind of blend the two to fight what you need to do but understand that you're one person and you know you're if you can't accomplish what you want it's still okay you could still accept that things are not the way you want them to be and uh, you know understand why they are that way and just you know embrace the world as it as it comes to you now this is a very stoic idea uh, this idea that y- you have to cultivate a mindset like happiness comes by cultivating a mindset of Recognizing when something's out of your control and not trying to change it, and just and just embracing it, and understanding that what you can change is your reaction to the thing, even if you can't change the thing. So, you, so for instance, you can't change that, say, you're experiencing pain or anxiety or whatever, um, but you can change how you ex- how you interpret or react to that pain or anxiety or whatever. Um, you know, I think that forest is an embodiment of that kind of stoic ideal um and and i think that's what i'm trying to get at is it's like yeah there's a read on this which is like nothing's gonna change they're just like fuck it like the world's gonna be shitty and like there's no don't do anything like who cares like that's a nihilistic take but the flip is just to be flip side is just to be like yeah you got to recognize what's within your power what's not and embrace in a in as positive way as you can what's out of out of your control rather than remain consistently frustrated by your inability to change it. Um, So, the last thing, and related to this, is that the sort of running theme of this movie, explicitly articulated at various points, in particular articulated by Forrest's mother figure, mother, Sally, uh, for Mama Gump, and by his father figure, Lieutenant Dan, the two sort of metaphysical views of the world. According to Mama Gump, life is like a box of chocolates. This is actually not the best way to put it because that suggests that things are set. You just don't know what's going to happen, which is totally compatible with the Lieutenant Dan view, which is that everyone has a destiny. You can't change it. So life is like a box of chocolates is not the best way to put it, but it's more like life is like a roulette wheel.
1: (laughs) Well, doesn't she also say, you know, your destiny is what you make of it?
0: Yes, she does. So that's the better way to put it.:
1: Okay. Well, well, actually, even that's Go with not that. Well,
0: even that's <laughs> not totally the way, I think, the, the right sort of contrast.
1: articulation of what her thing. OK. Yeah,
0: because destiny's what you make of it is actually just an existentialist credo of like, it's your choice that matters, ultimately. Um, I, I, I think that the, the thing she's suggesting is more of like a chance idea of a chance that's just like the world is a chancy. Uh, thing and there's you you have a certain degree of control but you also there's a certain degree it's out of your control that's just you know it's not fated it's just you rolled a six and you didn't roll a five on the die right and it's just random that that happened and so that's one view and then the other view is the lieutenant dan view which is like you no know, like there it's sort of written in the heavens what's going to happen and we are just kind of experiencing it as if we're reading a book. right? Yeah. the ending just like is going there. On a little
1: conveyor belts. Yeah, we're
0: <laughs> the, yeah, the ending's there. We if we had a time machine we could flip through and see what the ending is, but we don't, so we just kind of flip through as the pages turn. We're discovering it rather than creating it or um or it manifesting itself um in a kind of chancy way.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Now, of course this is uh you know, this really harkens back to this idea in, in metaphysics about Sort of chance or, or indeterminacy and determinism, determinism being the thesis that past plus the laws necessitate the future. That's the kind of Lieutenant Dan idea, which gives you kind of fate. Um, and then the, uh, the, 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 the Mama Gumpian view, which is that's not true. It's indeterminate what, what will happen. Um,
1: I don't know if Mama was right or if, it, if it's Lieutenant Dan. I don't know if we each have a destiny, or if we're all just floating around accidental like on a breeze. But I, I think maybe it's both. Maybe both is happening at the same time.
0: You know that's obviously a cheap cop out writing thing where <laughs> I, Zemeckis is lazy. Yeah, well, Zemeckis like he doesn't know what he's no. fucking talking about. So <laughs> he's just he's just like maybe it's. I mean, it's just like what a four year old. He's says. just like
1: shit happens. Put it on a bumper sticker.
0: Yeah. no, that's gum because Zemeckis is Zemeckis <laughs> is like Zemeckis is like I don't know. I don't fucking know what's going on. So so maybe it's both right. Okay, that's like a you know simplistic attitude, but. I want to try to actually articulate a way that that could be right. All right. And um, so here goes. So I think this view, this is a view that has some intuitive appeal, actually. The view goes like this. The future is open. Okay, there's no facts, determinate or otherwise, about what's going to happen. So just take a simple case, fair coin. I'm about to flip it. But nothing's gonna determine whether it's gonna be heads or it's gonna be tails. And then I flip it and it lands heads. And so now we can see it as heads. Some people think it's very natural there to think that because it landed heads, it was always gonna land heads. Even though before mm. there was no fact of the matter. Mm. And and an argument for this goes like this. Suppose before we flip, I say it's going to be heads. And you're like, it's going to be tails. Okay. And then I flip it and it turns out to be heads. And then I go, ah, I was right. Uh, it's very natural to think that.
1: Right. Now, right. right, if right. before
0: we thought there was no fact,
1: then you I can't would, be right or wrong.
0: I'm not right or wrong. You're not right or
1: wrong. Right. Mm-hmm. After
0: I'm now right. So now, so this that is how,
1: implies it was always going to be. You believe it was always going to be heads, and that I'm well, right.
0: There's a sense in which now it's settled, and so I was right. Meaning it was always it was going to be that.
1: Yes, way.
0: that could be what force is getting it right. That that before the thing happens, it's open. It's like a feather in the wind. After it happens, we think, well, that was how it was always going to be. There was mm-hmm. no other option. Um, and so there's a kind of dynamicness to the destiny. The destiny is kind of always being written as the time passes. Um, yeah. That feels right. Well, there's a certain, I think a lot of people find that intuitively appealing. I myself am a little bit vexed by it, but, um, but, but I think people definitely talk this way. They talk like well, I don't know what's going to happen. But not just in the sense that it's, something is going to happen, but I don't know what it is. But just that like, no, anything could happen, right? And then afterwards, they're like, this is how it was meant always to meant be. to be. Like there's a kind yeah. of like...
1: well, I think it as much as that we want like a, a larger meaning in our life. Yeah. We do kind of search for our destiny or like our identity and something. And and so, yeah, through a series of decisions and chance po- uh, t- choice points and chances, you end up in a situation. And when you finally feel comfortable and you could have finally felt comfortable in any number of other situations and the forking roads that could have led you to other places then you want to tell yourself that was your destiny that it feels feels inevitable. yes that's the thing
0: because initially when i heard that for say i was like that's just dumb but then i was thinking about it and i was like maybe there's a way to rescue something some kernel of truth here
1: have this amazing ability to find so much depth in this movie that I don't (laughs) think is there at all. But like kudos to you. I've so enjoyed this conversation. I
0: worked hard to try to find a, yeah, find, find something to put forward a a positive argument for this movie.
1: No, I mean you, and it's been really successful because you feel it in your bones and you straight up love this movie. I I told you yesterday yeah, Laura like, thought I was,
0: like, I was, like, trolling her. Yeah,
1: I was like, every time you tell me you love Forrest Gump, I feel like you're doing a bit. Like, I feel like it's been a lifelong bit, and we're going to be on our deathbed, and you're just going to whisper in my ear, like, joke's on you. Like, I convinced you I liked Forrest Gump. Like, I just couldn't, couldn't believe it, um, because I'm a cold-hearted person, I suppose. Um which is weird because you know from other podcast from other the previous podcasts like I'm all about being nice to people yeah. and getting along which you'd think I would love and this movie. you have a
0: certain emotional depth that I lack. I, I, I don't know what exactly I <laughs>
1: find this movie offensive. Yeah.
0: I don't know exactly <laughs> what it is that I connect with on this movie but I will say watching But you this do mo- and
1: go with it. It's your destiny. Yeah,
0: but watching this movie also as a father now and their the interactions with him and and Little forest. Yeah. I was I mean, It's really it's really powerful and I, I, I really do think that that those emotions are earned. And that's what I think at the end of the day, like, you know, all this theoretical hashing out on this movie, I think it's, it's great. And I I think it's worth worth exploring further. But at the end of the day, I, I really connect with this movie weirdly on an emotional level, which yeah. I, I don't connect with that many movies on emotional levels. And I don't know what it is. I mean, it, and I really, my, you know, uh, cynical hackle alert is always on guard. Like I, anytime I feel like a movie is being emotionally manipulative, I'm just like, I turn off and I'm just like, okay, screw this. <laughs> I just don't feel that way about this movie. Partly because you know we by the time like those emotional payoffs all happen at the end mm. after you've lived with these characters for 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 two and a half hours or so and you come to really care about them because regardless of whatever their foibles are, like they. are You've been with them. You've lived with them. You you know them inside and out to a certain degree, and so when 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 they have when Forrest meets his son, I I'm overwhelmed, and and it's just I think one explanation for why I think you might feel this movie's is manipulative is that it since all those payoffs happen at the end, they happen one after another. It's yeah. like he meets his son, they get married, Jenny dies, he, he
1: talks t- to the grave.
0: Yeah, he talks to the grave, sends his son to to school. And it's like bam, bam, bam. In the course of fifteen minutes, almost you yeah. should be crying nonstop. And you might just think like, this is this is not cool. Like this is like totally like a manipulative. But I think it's the exact opposite. He's bottled up all these things that you really cared about: him reconciling with Dan, him being with Jenny. You know, wow, he's got a son now. Like, how's that going to play out? Like all those things. Then Jenny dies. He's they, she, it's pulled away from him at that moment. You know, I think it's just it's all a domino that's leading to this. Series of emotional payoffs, and I think that's to the serve in the service in the cr- to the credit of the movie that it does that and it, that it pulls it off so effectively. I think, and so um, to me, that's why it works like a hundred percent, and why I think a lot of movies fail in that regard is they try to sprinkle the emotional stuff in throughout, maybe, or they don't have enough character development to like feel like you really you just want
1: to get like punched in the face with it. <laughs>
0: Yeah. Well, no, I, I don't I'm know. Kidding. I just, I just want it to feel earned and yeah. I feel like it's earned. Um, you know, it doesn't feel cheap. Right. It's the other thing is a lot of times they'll, they'll, they'll like make a character die just because it's convenient. They need the emotional payoff. And it's like, why did that character die? It doesn't make any sense. But this character, Jenny dies. Like we, we get it. Like audience in 94, audience in 2020, we totally know what's going on there. It's, it's just like a sad fact of like American history that, that the AIDS crisis happened in the eighties. So, so I really ad. I want to advocate at the end of the day, thinking of this movie, or not thinking of this movie, but experiencing this movie in a kind of emotional way. Um, just engaging with it. Just turn off the cynicism and just engage <laughs> with them. You know, and it's a wonderful movie. It's a really well made movie. I, it's it's a kind of movie that Hollywood don't doesn't make anymore. No. And just Appreciate the like the the absolute audacity to make a movie in this way with this scope, using these many special effects, having you know war scenes that are incredibly realistic paired with like, you know, outlandish running scenes set against these gorgeous backdrops and and you know, all told through this to the eyes of a guy who's autistic and mentally handicapped and like it's like a wild movie that I just think is in a way a kind of a certain type of pinnacle of Hollywood filmmaking. Like if you care or love Hollywood filmmaking, like the people that love Hollywood, right? They're like, I'm into Spielberg and I'm into whatever. Uh And then hate this movie, I don't understand that. Because I feel like this is everything you want from a Hollywood movie. Like, yeah, if you're like a a, a film snob and and you're like, I only want to watch Tarkovsky and Bellatar (sighs) and stuff. Well, fine. But like, this isn't going to do anything for you because it's broad and whatever. But like, if you're interested in pop cinema entertainment, I think it's got, I think it's the real deal. I think it's got everything you want. And um, it has a wonderful soundtrack. It's enjoyable. Those those music, those needle drops are fun. Yeah. (laughs) Sorry, I'm going so hard on this. (laughs) Laura's almost like not even, doesn't want to even challenge me because she's like, she doesn't want to hurt my feelings. No,
1: it's not about your feelings. I... Well, it is. I, I, I don't I know you're not going to be upset because we've had this no, argument so care, many yeah. times. It's not like I want to hurt your feelings. I don't want to like stamp on your joy, though. Like it's, no, it's really, like it's I've had my own moment watching you talk about how much you love this movie. Now, like I just like left my body for a second, like watching you like wax poetic about Forrest <laughs> Gump. But I just don't want to end on like a note where I'm like,
0: we're not going to end because I got one more point.
1: <laughs> OK, great. Um, you don't like the music. It's not that I don't like the music like, yeah, those songs are good I think it's just like an incessant like you know like those infomercials when we were kids they're like I love the 60s it's that and in fact I think the, oh, the soundtrack of this movie be- is essentially that right it yeah. became like its own phenomenon yeah. people had the Forrest Gump soundtrack oh, yeah. and it was we essentially
0: it's like a double set I'm sure it yeah, is just
1: like when you get it on, on the TV and you call the 1-800 number and they throw in an extra special commemorative poster for you yeah. like it's like that and um, it's just a contributing to the feeling like that this is nostalgia porn, and yeah. I think it also like for all of the interesting, darker or more nuanced readings that we just pumped into this movie, you know, filling it with like bubblegummy jukebox nostalgic tunes constantly throughout this movie, I think undercuts your ability to have an anal like have a um, cynical, have a critical, yeah. have any sort of like more nuanced reading of this movie because it just i think like the music is a key part to this feeling like nostalgia porn
0: it's almost like the music sort of is a pavlovian cue to be like oh remember this and isn't this great yeah and in the good old days yes and
1: that's the part of this movie that i don't like and that is a bit of a a sub 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 genre of like a kind of check boxy like remember all these things in history and we're not going to really like Think about them too hard. It's just like, check, I remember who Wallace was, check, I remember who that guy was. Like, and you get uh a satisfaction out of just like being like, I remember history or I was there for history. Yep. Um, you know, like uh, movies like Midnight in Paris, where mm-hmm. it's just like, I am gonna like pat myself on the back because I know who Salvador Dali is. Yeah. And it's and it feels yeah, like Yeah, Star
0: like Wars episode one Phantom Menace. <laughs> You're like I remember Chancellor Valora. (laughs) No, but I I know what you're saying. Yeah, that's a
1: um and I yeah the jukeboxy uh soundtrack with all the most obvious Mama and Papa's choices, Mm -hmm. um I think is a is a key part of that feeling.
0: Yeah, I mean it it. it, But they're good
1: songs. I'm not going to say I don't like the Mama's. No, they're good songs. But but that's crazy. I could
0: put your point this way: the music is almost used propagandistically to like reinforce this kind of like these were the good old days yes. and now we end Now, where are we, you know, like, couldn't we go back to these older yes. values that like, wouldn't that be better? It plays the exact head? same yeah.
1: function in, in big chill.
0: Yeah. Um, I take that point. And, um, I think just to build on that, uh, uh, one of the criticisms of the movie is that it sort of gives us a, a lens to, to rich, to look at history that is deeply, Flawed and problematic because it's not actually engaging with these things. Yeah, and, like and,
1: I I told you yesterday it felt like reading my like 10th yeah. grade history book.
0: Yeah. And I have to admit that that my uh I do view a lot of these events because I've seen this movie so many times through the lens of Forrest Gump. I mean, I think it's inevitable once you see enough movies on the Vietnam War, you're going to view the Vietnam War through the lens of those movies. Yes. Right? Not Because you, you. what else are you going to do? Those are the images that are before your mind. Oh my you, God,
1: I've seen so many Vietnam movies. That's all I think about. Yeah, it's so all you think about. It's
0: <laughs> like Apocalypse Now and Platoon, Platoon and whatever. Yeah. And and I, I'm guilty of this. I, I think of certain of these events through the lens of Forrest Gump and other movies that I've seen and and so on. Um, The reason I just, I think this is an unfair criticism is that the role of the movie, I think, is not... I mean, there's a certain responsibility of the movie the filmmaker, if they're gonna deal with historical stuff, to like, you know, have a kind of clear-eyed thing that they're trying to do with it and not just put it out there the way you're saying. So so of course, if Zemeckis, if it turns out, so I take your point if that if you're right, Zemeckis says this is what he's doing and this is the read we should have on the movie, then that's problematic. I, I I do agree with that. But I think at the same time, I think how problematic is it? It's not hundred percent clear because I think there's a responsibility to the public to not get their history notes from fucking Forrest Gump. <laughs> you know,
1: like it's you, really about America's problem, and the viewer's problem. No, and I mean, I
0: think it is the viewer's responsibility yes. to be to not only think of the hit lens, think of these hist- historic things through the lens of Forrest Gump, but that you know understand what's going on. And I, I, I suspect that many people might have been you know watched this movie and got excited and wanted to read more about some of these events so it could actually do service in that promoting bringing to life these events in a way that maybe they weren't otherwise because they were just being read about on the page can inspire further reading um so so i think that i think that how bad it is it's it's up for debate you know mm-hmm. i think there's a responsibility of filmmakers but i'm not totally sure it it rests it certainly doesn't rest solely on their no, shoulders no, by, no by no no means. no I'm, i
1: don't think I, I don't think it's Macus's responsibility to teach us American history. Um,
0: yeah. That's, yeah. But that's yes. what I mean is insofar as he doesn't have the responsibility, then how bad is it for him to portray it in a way that is maybe perhaps slanted?
1: Yeah. Right. Or it's whatever. Or obscuring. Um And it's just not my favorite type of genre, I think, is what like more yeah. of it comes down to. Fair but I'm not yeah, going to rank enough. him over the coals, you know, for the for. Well, I guess I am, but, <laughs> um,
0: yeah, but you, you know, just, okay. So your point is not that he should have done something better because he had a moral responsibility to, but rather you just don't like what he did.
1: I don't like what yeah, he did. That's fine. Yeah. That's fine. And you know, like maybe that's just, that's just my vibe, man, because like, yeah, I fine. like Oliver Stone and like, is he doing a huge disservice? Like pumping us full of com- like wackadoo conspiracy theories about JFK. That might be worse. <laughs> but that movie is crazy and I love it.
0: Yeah. Um, yeah, we should do JFK at some point. That'd no, be fun. Speaking of so wants to hear The that. last thing I want to say, because this episode is going to be our longest episode by a long shot. Um, <laughs>
1: we had a lot to get
0: through. Yeah. The last thing I want to say is there's just a funny instance of the Mandela effect, which is this case of false memory. Um, so everyone remembers um, the tagline. Life, life is like a box of chocolates, right? That's what Mama always said. Life is like a box of chocolates. Uh, turns out that's wrong.
1: My mom always said life was like a box of chocolates. You never know what you're going to get.
0: Life was like a box of chocolates. And we've all got it wrong. False memory. It's a glitch in the matrix. Oh
1: my gosh. So. But that's not your favorite line. Your favorite line is I taught her how to dangle.
0: Yeah, I like to say that one. (laughs) No, I got a couple Lieutenant Dan lines that I like. Uh, One of our favorite things is... Uh, R. I. P. Doogoo, our cat. Uh, she <laughs> she went when our son was born, and he was screaming a lot. Our cat would be like sitting in the corner, and we called it Lieutenant Danning because she would just be sitting there, like like looking like like she wanted to die. Um, and that's that shot of Lieutenant Dan when they're at the New Year's, when it's sort of they're singing "Auld Lang Syne," and they're they're there's so much confetti in his hair, confetti falling, and they're all like,
1: "Yeah, Happy New Year!" And then they just, <laughs> just slow like pan into abyss.
0: into Lieutenant Dan. just staring into the abyss. <laughs> so that I love that and then
1: we call that a lieutenant danning
0: and then the other one is like they get visited by these chaplains that's when he's a war vet and he's like yeah they're the guys down at the va jesus is jesus that set up be walking beside him in the kingdom of heaven and he's like did you hear what i said <laughs> <laughs> i love that i always say that thing. i always like to say that line. i'm like that's did true. you hear what i said that's true walk
1: he said god is listening but i have to help myself
0: Now, if I accept Jesus into my heart, I'll get to walk beside him in the kingdom of heaven. Did you hear what I said? Walk beside him in the kingdom of heaven. Well, kiss my crippled ass. God is listening. What a crock of shit.
1: You know what I just realized? Um. now that two, two movies that we've featured on this podcast had like a had lady Dugu goo connections because we also used to say our cat would pull a would be Blair Witching Yeah, and she used to just be staring into a corner
0: yeah the old Blair Witch did we talk about that in Blair Witch? I, I don't remember. think we did okay so yeah she our cat we called it Blair Witching because she would just <laughs> oftentimes she would you know if if you were sitting in a chair how would you like to sit in it? usually facing out you wouldn't <laughs> face the back of the chair but that's how Goo used to sit in the chair. She would just, sometimes, she would face inward to the chair and we called it Blair Witching because of the end of Blair Witch. So, there you go. Spoilers for Blair Witch, but who cares? Nobody knows. We've already
1: that, done that podcast. Yeah, but nobody
0: knows what the end of Blair, what that means. Like, so it doesn't even matter. Um, okay, this was fun. We leave it to the listeners. What do you think? Forrest Gump, good, bad. Um, th- you know, th- good, revisit bad. it. Hashtag
1: problematic. Yeah,
0: Problematic. Uh, dumb, uh, uh, boomer, boomer, nostalgia yeah, porn. boomer nostalgia porn, uh, or is it? Uh, is there, are the criticisms baked in? It's all there. It's, <laughs> it's all, all in. Baked it's in. all in the. It's all in the text. It was all uh, anticipated, and it's a brilliant uh, film. Um, well, let us know. We're at Cow's Pod on Twitter, uh, calspod.wordpress.com uh, for updates. And uh, actually, before we end. Uh, I do need to, we should make an announcement. So, we have uh, coming up, uh, we're going to do a fall series. And we're going to, we'll put that announcement, we'll announce that in in two episodes. But we want to just announce what the next two episodes are going to be, sort of a a little kind of transition into the fall series. So, um, the, the next episode in two weeks will be Identity. What happened at the motel? People started dying.
1: What's going on? Go in your room and lock your door.
0: You're going to see a very different tone as far as Laura on identity.
1: Yeah. She's a big I, fan. I, I, mm, I will not be nearly as successful or as eloquent. I don't feel in uh, Laura's in too hard identity. on herself.
0: She's too hard on herself. <laughs> she made some very good points about identity and you'll be hearing that one next week. And then after that, we have a uh, an episode on Mulholland Drive, the David Lynch masterpiece, with uh, Agnes and Abe Callard as our guests. Get out of the car. Yes. The girl is still missing. What's wrong? I don't know who I am. I wonder
1: where you were going drive come on it'll be just like in the movies we'll pretend to be someone else
0: then in the starting after that we will have our series for the fall and we'll announce that uh, I guess we'll just announce it at the and drive episode sure yeah all right well thanks for listening and um, we'll see you next time
1: bye bye